Thanks for joining us once again as we uh, look into a series of lessons here that I've titled Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification. And uh, in our first installment, we were really working at an introductory level just to introduce the subject and kind of draw out some of the problems that are happening in our modern understanding of sanctification. Now, the first thing I want to tell you is that as we said in that first lesson, the word sanctification, sanctify, sanctifying, uh, sanctified is a Bible word. That word has come from the word of God. It is used by God to describe something. And so it's critically important that our thinking line up with the word of God, not according to human wisdom, whether it would be what I think it is, what my experience thinks it is, what my church thinks it is, even what I think my pastor thinks it is, because it is God's holy word that needs to guide our thinking. And what I've done as I've been studying on this subject in the Bible is to look at the many times in which the word sanctified, sanctification, sanctifying, and so forth is used in the word of God, because we can see how that word is, what how it's defined biblically as opposed to what we think it is. Now, it's interesting because the subject of sanctification really is littered or riddled with a lot of uh, misleading teaching. And one of the misleading areas that we brought up was the fact that it's commonly taught that there is an aspect of sanctification that's already done, and there's an aspect of sanctification yet to be done. And uh, we drew out the Westminster Catechism of Faith, which uh, kind of has become more or less the de facto teaching on the subject of sanctification in many parts of the church today. And it says that this sanctification is throughout the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There abideth still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. I pointed out how I believe biblically that statement is wrong on many points. You know, the devil wars against what the Bible teaches about sanctification. He's got good reason for doing that. If he can keep the heirs of salvation out of the full enjoyment about what God has already provided completely and perfectly through the finished work of Jesus Christ, then that cripples the ability of a Christian to be able to live their life. We also briefly define what sanctification is. And biblically, it means that God, it's God setting apart someone or something for himself and his holy purposes. It's God taking someone or something, even a place that's sort of in common use. And in his mind, he's saying, this is for me. This is for my holy purposes. And uh, it is God speaking, and it's done so. God declares something to be holy. That object doesn't make itself holy. That object or person doesn't sanctify themselves. It is something of pure grace. It's something from the Lord. We ended by talking about God's funny glasses. And what I mean by that is there are many scriptures that speak about our reality of who we really are in Christ, the already done truths of who we are in Christ. But we get this sort of odd view about those statements. For instance, it says in Romans 8, 9, that you are not in the flesh, but of the Spirit. 
Or Hebrews 10, 39 says that we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. How about this one, Ephesians 1, 3? God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, we can see these already done statements and kind of look at ourselves according to our human perception and, our, you know, the way we, we think about things and our human understanding and think, well, yeah, that's really not the way it is. But God has sort of a funny pair of glasses and he, quote unquote, sees me this way. My dear friend, those statements are not clever ways of God putting on funny 3D or other sort of perception-altering glasses. Those statements of who we really are because of Christ, because we are in Christ, those statements are point-blank statements of reality. My dear friend, it is critically important that we understand this. Because when we talk about the subject of sanctification— And the perfect sanctification, which we're going to be talking about today, it is very important that we understand that God says it and it's so. It's not like we're putting on those 3D glasses when we go to a movie theater and we're looking at a two-dimensional screen with two-dimensional images, but because of those funny 3D glasses, we're able to see something that really is two-dimensional in a three-dimensional fashion. No, 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 no. The reality is... What God says is, because of him, because of Jesus, because we are in him, is the reality that we actually live in. And and this is going to become clearer and clearer as I move through this material. Today we're going to be focusing on the subject, perfect sanctification already accomplished. And I want you to pick up your Bible if it's handy, and I want you to turn into the New Testament epistle of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And as you're traveling there, my dear friend, I consider this verse to be one of the most important verses on sanctification in the entire Bible. In fact, it may be the most important verse on sanctification. Again, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. I want you to see this. That's why I'm asking you to turn to it in the Word of God if it's handy. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and here's what it says. It says, but of him, speaking of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Now, we brought up this verse in the last lesson, and uh, we made the point that it is God's doing that you are in Christ. You're not in Christ Jesus because of you. You're not even in Christ Jesus because of a decision or a prayer or going down the aisle. You are in Christ Jesus because God who does not fail did it as an act of grace. That's significant. When I feel shaky about me, which is a lot of the time, I can rest my heart and my faith on the truth that God, who does not fail, is the one who put me in Christ Jesus. Now, the application here in 1 Corinthians 1.30 is powerful. Do you hear what it says? It says that Christ Jesus himself has become for us wisdom from God. Christ Jesus has become for us 
righteousness. Christ Jesus has become our sanctification. Christ Jesus has become our redemption. Now, I could spend quite a bit of time going through each of those bullet points about who Christ Jesus is to us in this verse, the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, and redemption. But here, we're just going to focus today on sanctification. And I want you to understand what I regard as one of the most powerful statements and and revelations in the Word of God. And that is that Christianity is Christ. It is, the, it is a person. It's not a, it's not a system of morality. It is not a way of life, fundamentally. It is not a philosophical grid. It is not even a worldview. Christianity is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's answer to us, God's answer to mankind is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here in 1 Corinthians 1.30, we can see the great truth that our sanctification is not an it. It is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. God's answer for sanctification is not you. It's not what you do. God's answer for sanctification is Jesus Christ. Jesus is your sanctification. So the question relative to sanctification isn't whether we are sanctified fully. The big question is this. How perfect is Jesus to be our sanctification? Is he enough? Is he complete enough? Is he full enough? You see, in God's mind, sanctification is his son. When he has given to you sanctification, it has been embodied in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is your sanctification. Perfect sanctification is our current and forever state. And the reason why that's the case is because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. I call this our dual reality as a Christian. All over the Bible, you can see these in Christ statements, in Christ, in him. And also, there are statements in the word of God about Christ in us. Colossians chapter 1 says, the hope of glory. You see, Jesus is our sanctification. And because he is perfect, he is our perfect sanctification. Like everything else that we receive from God, perfect sanctification is based on the finished, perfect work of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to be walking through is a number of scriptures that speak about perfect sanctification already accomplished. There are many verses that clearly state this. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Acts chapter 20, verse 32, and as you're uh, traveling to that section of the scripture, Paul is, this is, I, I consider one of the most poignant passages in all of the scripture. Paul is really kind of giving uh, a final discourse to his Ephesian, to the Ephesian elders. He's leaving them. He's not sure he's going to make it back. I would note that it is significant to learn about a person when you hear what they say when they're facing death. 
when a person is facing the stark reality of death, he is not going to mince words. He, if he feels passionate about something, he's going to make sure that his hearers hear it. And in Acts chapter 20, that's exactly what Paul is doing. He is making very clear truth points to his beloved Ephesian elders, even with tears. We're just going to look at verse 32. Here's what it says. Paul is saying, inspired of the Holy Spirit, Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Now, stop just a moment. You see, he's saying, I'm leaving, but God isn't leaving. So I am putting you, I commend you, I recommend you to God himself and to the word of his grace. That word of his grace is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Did you catch the tense? Are sanctified. That refers to something already done, and therefore you are in that state of being sanctified. Okay, flip a few pages forward to Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Jesus is speaking. He's commissioning Paul, and Paul is relating this to others. And here's, here's what the Lord Jesus had to say to Paul. He said, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified, are sanctified by faith in me. Now, there's a lot we could unpack from that verse, but I just want to underline are sanctified. And I want to make bold and underline the word are. They are sanctified. How? By faith in me. You know, whenever we talk about faith, we're talking about dependence outside of yourself. And biblical faith, Christian faith, saving faith is faith in Jesus Christ. He said, by faith in me. So because it is of faith, it depends on another. It depends on the Lord Jesus Christ. Move forward now to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you're traveling in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to go to verse 2. Uh, remember the context of the Corinthian church. Man, what a dysfunctional group of Christians. But they were Christians. They were messed up. They were divided. They were bickering. They were arguing. They were jockeying for position and power. They were saying, well, I follow this teacher. He's better than your teacher. They were a mess. They were a fleshly, carnal church. And to that fleshly, carnal, sinful church, are you there? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 2, look at this. Paul says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, hmm, that's significant, church of God, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. What tense is that? Past tense, already done. Catch this, called to be saints. Saints uh, is the Greek word hagios, which literally means very holy one. <laughs> He's calling them very holy ones, saints, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus, both theirs and ours. Two very important points I want you to see. Number one, it says they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And he called them saints. 
This is how the carnal, worldly Christians were addressed in Corinth. Now, someone might have come by to Paul and said, Paul, hold on a second. Don't you know the latest? I mean, these guys are terrible. Paul, remember, inspired of the Holy Spirit, is speaking the way God says they actually are. May I say, and I'll tip my cards a little bit here so you see where we're going in this series. The problem with the Corinthian church was they did not understand who they really were and are in Christ. And as a result, they were not acting according to who they really are. They were acting like sinners, even though they're not sinners in Christ. They're acting carnal, even though they're not of the flesh in Christ. And so there's much that Paul talks about, just about who they are in Christ. That's the starting point for change. Go a few chapters forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11b. And here's a powerful, powerful verse. I mean, how can anybody question the perfection of our sanctification when confronted with this verse? And by the way, the context of this is sexual immorality. There was tons of sexual immorality in the Corinthian church. Hello. But here's what he had to say when he was making the argument, don't do that stuff. He said this, 1 Corinthians 6, 11b, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Did you catch it? Did you notice the past already done tenses? Were washed, were sanctified, were justified by the Spirit of God. Who did it? God did it. May I ask you a simple question? Can God ever fail? Never. He cannot fail. He wouldn't be God otherwise. Sometime, and we'll, we'll talk about this passage a little bit later, but you should read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He deals with them in their immorality by saying, guys, what are you doing? You're acting like what you aren't. Act according to who you really are. We're talking about perfect sanctification already accomplished and going through the Word of God to see what the Word of God has to say. Now travel to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. The book of Hebrews is so powerful about the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his perfect suffering, his perfect blood, his perfect sacrifice, his perfect death. And because of the perfection of his finished work, we stand in a perfect condition. And you're going to see this in these next three passages I'm going to draw out here in Hebrews. First Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says this, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of, from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now I've deliberately read that verse from the New American Standard Version because the New King James, if you're reading the New King James, translates it 
wrong. It actually translates it, those who are being sanctified, as if there was some sort of sanctification that uh, was yet to come. But the construct of the Greek word is in a sort of a dramatic present tense. We don't quite use it, I don't think, in this way today. But the idea is something already done and it's like it affects you right now. And so there are actually a number of different versions that uh, translate it correctly, the idea of it being past tense already done. So just that word of clarification, uh, it doesn't diminish at all the reality of what's saying here in Hebrews 2.11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. Catch this, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. You know, when we think of ourselves and the way we act sometimes, and I'm ashamed sometimes of what I do and what I think, that could give reason for God to be ashamed, for Jesus to be ashamed, to, for me to be called his brother. But you know what? That privilege is not based on my performance. It's based on the performance of Jesus Christ who sanctifies and has made me sanctified. Let's flip a few uh, chapters ahead to Hebrews chapter 10. Wow, Hebrews chapter 10 is one of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible about the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is a great chapter. That is the theme of what's in Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews has been making, going to great lengths, great pains to make the the contrast between the old covenant way of imperfect sacrifices being offered endlessly and over and over. Why? Because they were imperfect. If they had perfectly cleaned a person up, they would no longer be needed. And that's contrasted with the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ in his person and in his performance already done. And because Jesus did it all, did it perfectly, when he walked the 33 years upon this earth, he walked it out under the law perfectly. He never sinned once in thought, word, or deed. He lived perfectly. He fulfilled the law. He did it. And then when, he, when it was, came time for his, uh, his suffering, his punishment, uh, his chastisement, and then, of course, the crucifixion, Jesus did it all perfectly. And that's the theme of Hebrews chapter 10. It is one of the most glorious chapters to settle in our mind that the basis of anything that I have a claim on from God is the finished work perfectly of Jesus Christ. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. But then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. That's a quotation from the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Jesus himself coming before the Father and saying, Father, I am here. I've come to do your will, Father. And it says he takes away the first, speaking of the covenant, the old covenant, the covenant of law, that he may establish the second covenant, that is the new covenant, the covenant of grace. And by that will, what will? Jesus coming before the Father and saying, Father, I'm here I'm here to do your will. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Excuse me, folks. I have to say it. Hallelujah. Man, what great truth. Because he did it all. 
he got it all done perfectly and he did it once for all. Let's, let's go through this a little bit. It says that we have been sanctified, verse 10, because of Christ's I will. It's not based on your I will. It's based on Christ saying I will. And we have been sanctified because of his once for all offering of his body. And that Greek word behind the once for all has this idea of something that is done so completely, so perfectly at one point in time, it doesn't ever have to be repeated again. And the benefit of it lasts forever. Isn't that wonderful? Hmm. Is there anything lacking in Christ's will to do what is right? No. Is anything lacking in Christ's perfect once-for-all offering of his body? No way. Religion makes Jesus' perfect work and sacrifice incomplete and claims that, well, yeah, there is still something that we have to do. In fact, it begins to, to mushroom into many things we have to do to make it complete. But real Bible truth says that Jesus has done it all. It is finished. It is done. For Jesus to to imply that his work is somehow, in some way, in some aspect of our great salvation, not enough, is to nail Jesus right back on the cross. If what he did at Calvary 2,000 years ago isn't enough for perfect justification of you, isn't enough for perfect salvation of you, isn't enough for perfect forgiveness of you, isn't enough for perfect sanctification of you, then my friend, just like in the old covenant times, it has to be repeated again and again and again. God forbid. His sacrifice, his life, his perfect person did it all. My friend, it's done. You may not feel like it's done. You may look around in the natural with your human perception, your flesh, and think it's not done. But it is done. That's the reality. Real Bible truth says that Jesus has done it all. It is finished. And my dear friend, it is all of grace. Grace is about God out of his perfect heart of love doing all the good that's necessary for you. It's God loving you. It's him doing love. It's him accepting you. It's him blessing you, not on the basis of you, which is law and flesh, but on the basis of himself. Wow, let that soak in. And may I just say something right here? It's important for us to be in the Word of God, the Bible, to see what the Bible says. And again, today we're talking about the fact that uh, perfect sanctification is already accomplished. I think you're beginning to see it. But dear friend, don't rely on your human understanding. Rely upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through about 24 is a great prayer. Paul's teaching great truth in the first half of Ephesians. He's talking to man about God, and then he stops talking to man about God and starts talking to God about man. He realizes that unless the Spirit of God does what the Spirit does in revealing to us, enlightening to us, 
turning on the light so that we can see, we're not really going to see it. We're not going to grasp it. And dear friend, just simply ask God the Father by his Spirit to show this to you. Now, we rely upon the Word of God. Amen? The Spirit of God works in conjunction with the Word of God, the Bible. But do not rely upon your human understanding, please. Do not rely on the doctrines of men and even the Westminster Catechism. And I know the Westminster Catechism has been a bit kicked around. Uh, there's a lot of that catechism I, I agree with. But it is, not the, it is not infallible. Only the Word of God, the Bible, is infallible. All right, Hebrews chapter 10, now verse 14. And we brought this up a little bit earlier, but I want to bring it up again. It says, for by one offering, he has perfected for all time. I'm reading in the NASB. For all time, those who are sanctified. Did you, did you catch it? For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You know, it just occurs to me as I'm reading that verse that we ought to personalize that verse. What do you think? Sometimes a verse that speaks of what is available for those, all those who are in Christ can kind of lose the impact when we personalized when we personalize it. So I'm going I'm to personalize it right now. I want you to do the same thing. I'm just going to read the verse straight, and then I'm going to personalize it for us. It says this, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. I'm going to personalize it now. It says this, For by one offering he has perfected me for all time for I am sanctified. Let it soak in. And I, I know what's going on. I know what, what you're thinking. I, I'm thinking the same thing too. We're, we're doing the, yeah, but what about this? What about this problem? What about my hang up over here? Dear friend, he was hung up for your hangups and he was hung up perfectly. And we've got to get a clue. You, you know what I'm talking about? We've got to get a clue. We've got to stop this stinking thinking. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to kick carnal theology out the door that's based upon, well, my experience doesn't seem to be that way. I don't see that. It's not working that way in my life. You know why it's not working? Do you know why we're not seeing it happening? It's when we have the mentality when we will change the truth of the Word of God and exchange it for what we think is true. Dear friend, Satan over you as a believer has only one inroad in your life. Just one. Your mind. He is a father of lies. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. He is a father of lies. And the only way he can get at you, listen to me carefully, is by deceiving you. See, if you believe that something is true when it's not true, it can have an impact on you. Let me, let me bring up an example, an illustration of this. Let's say you and I are at a favorite coffee shop and we're sitting there, it's crowded on a Friday afternoon and there's lots of people there and we're just sitting there enjoying nice warm cups of coffee. All of a sudden this guy, this crazy looking man bursts through the door and he is holding a machine gun 
and he is screaming profanities, and he's saying that he's going to kill us. He is going to mow us down with his machine gun. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel in a moment like that? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'd be terrified. In fact, if we actually put uh, medical monitoring equipment on you, you know, that measured your heartbeat and and your perspiration, we would see your heartbeat go through the roof. We would see your blood pressure go through the roof. Why? Because your body is reacting to what it thinks is a threat. But let's say in the next moment, a police officer, a man of the law, walks calmly through the door, looks at this guy, reaches over, grabs that machine gun, pulls the trigger, and it starts to squirt water. He says, ladies and gentlemen, there is no danger. This is just a squirt gun. The man is just crazy. Now, how do you feel? <laughs> oh, my, crazy, silly, embarrassed. But let me ask you a question. Before the man of authority came in with the truth of the reality of the situation, why did you have that physiological reaction? Why did your heart rate go through the roof? Why did your blood pressure go up so high? Because you believed that something was real when in fact it was not real. And my friend, that's what happens to us today. That's what happens to Christians. You see, when we, when we are not exposed to the truth of what God's word is, and we're laying down what we think it should say, and we're laying down the doctrines of men, what this does is this keeps us in a condition of reality in our Christian life. But Satan, I like to call Satan an equal opportunity exploiter. He is an equal opportunity deceiver. It doesn't matter who you are. He will go after you and he will go after your mind and he'll get you to believe something is true when it's not true. And he will try to get us, and this is why I made the point so much in the first teaching of this series, he will try to get us to get our read of truth and reality based upon what I think in my carnal mind, what I perceive with my human senses, or what I feel. That's called flesh. God does not want us walking according to the flesh. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's a later thing. But I want this, you see, I want to address this, this thing right now. You're hearing the truth of the Word of God. And there can be this sort of uh, flesh reaction that goes, well, it doesn't seem to be that way to me. Well, you know what? Then let me be the man of truth who's coming to you to say, that's a lie. And this is what God has said. Let me just say it one more time here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Praise the Lord. Jude chapter 1 says this, To those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Who sanctified you? God the Father did. Praise the Lord. Jude chapter 1. You don't have to turn to these other verses. We're just going to hit them real quick. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25b to, uh, through verse 26. It says this, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And the word sanctified is in the Greek aorist tense, which means done once in time, not a process. 
Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? That he might sanctify. And again, I said that's in the aorist tense which is translated past tense. In other words, it means it's happened one point in time in the past, and it's already done. That's in Ephesians 25 and 26. As we're wrapping up our lesson for today, my dear friend, the point of what I'm trying to make through this whole thing is you have perfect sanctification already done, already accomplished, because Jesus, who is perfect, did it all. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So to diminish in any way the biblical truth about the perfection of the sanctification we have gotten already is to compromise the word of God. I know those are tough words, but they're true words. You see, all these glorious truths about what we've talked about, what Jesus has done by means of our sanctification speaks about who we really are. There's no funny glasses going on here. God isn't putting on 3D glasses to look at a 2D you and saying you're 3D. No, no, no. This is me. And as you begin to retrain your mind according to what the Word of God says about Jesus and what he's done for you and who you are in him, this will begin to transform It'll renew your mind. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is who we are, my friend. It's because of what Jesus, who has perfect, has perfectly done. It's not who we will be, future tense. It's not us becoming present. It is who we really are. You know, in the New Testament, the incidences of any form of the word of sanctification, there's 29 of them, turns to sanctified, 16 of them meaning already done, 55% of them speak of an already done sanctification. Next time when we uh, continue in this series, Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification, we're going to be talking about perfect sanctification right now. And specifically, my friend, just like we brought up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when Paul was admonishing an immoral uh, sin, steeped, uh, church steeped in sexual sin, he spoke to them and said, you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified. From that basis, there are verses relative to sanctification that speak about us walking according to these are according to verses, not verses that speak about becoming more sanctified. As we wrap up today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, thank you so much for what you've done. Lord, our hearts can hardly contain the joy that we have because of your love, because of your infinite grace. And Lord, you are infinite perfection. You are infinite good. And Father, when you saw us in our undoneness and our sin and our shame and our rebellion and, and all that we deserved was wrath, Lord God, you sent your Son, your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Father, you sent him for us. Born of a woman, born under the law, and he fulfilled the law. He walked a perfect life. And Father, he walked out a perfect suffering throughout the course of his life, but then a perfect chastisement, perfect injury, and perfect sacrifice, perfect blood, 
perfect death for us and a perfect resurrection. Father, I pray that we would better understand these great truths that because of Jesus who is perfect, Jesus who is our sanctification, Lord, we stand in a perfect sanctification that does not need to be improved. We live in the reality of a perfect sanctification that is not somehow needing more. Lord, help us to understand fully revealed to us by your spirit. Enlighten our hearts that we can see the glorious truth of Jesus, our sanctification, the glorious truth, Father, that he has done it and it is already done. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.